Today on Living Truth Radio, Pastor Michael Lance is in Genesis chapter 46 with part two of a message entitled Preservation and Reunion, where Jacob is finally reunited with his beloved son, Joseph. Genesis chapter 46. So Jacob arose from Beersheba, verse five, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. I was, I'm wondering, you know, how Jacob's heart must have leapt when he thought, you know what, I'm going to see this boy again and I'm going to see his face before I exit this planet. Um, just a beautiful promise. And so Jacob was carried along by the products of Egypt and off he goes heading to the promised land. It seems that verse 5, verse 5 confirms that Jacob was looking for a direct answer from God. Jacob arose from Beersheba and he took off. He received it and arose from Beersheba to go down to Egypt. This was a major change, but God was leading and going with him. Again, James Montgomery Boyce providing some helpful insight. He says, quote, You may be on the verge of a major change and you may be uncertain about it, even fearful. If so... Do not take a step until you seek God's face. Ask him to show you the direction you should go. If God is silent, remain where you are. If he speaks, go forth boldly and fear nothing. He will be with you not only in Egypt, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. Close quote. I think when we're wrestling with decision making, this is what we do. We ask God, and if God is silent, then don't move. Don't take God's silence for an answer, <laughs> right? Which is a mistake that we make. Maybe the Lord, maybe that silence means this. Or maybe it just means God saying, just wait. It's not the right time. I don't want you to move yet. Or maybe it's not the right direction. But God confirmed to Jacob and they took their livestock, verse 6, their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, they came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. Now there are going to be a list of 70 people here. You might want to just make a note that in Acts 7, 14 and 15, when Stephen is preaching to the religious leadership in the book of Acts, he says 75 persons in all. Uh, that's what the Septuagint records. Um, we're going to see that it's 70 here, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit more about that. Um, you know, you can get this in a Bible difficulties book, but Stephen, being a Hellenist Jew, would naturally have used the Septuagint figure. Um, he was Hellenistic, which means he had a Greek background. And uh, we'll come to that in a second, but let's just read down the list and... Um, I'm going to do my best with these names. So here we go. Some of you, when you come to genealogy lists, I know you skip over them, and, and I totally understand. But, but these names are here for a reason, and they remind us that God is a God who cares about people. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jamul, Jamin, Ohad, Yakin, Zohard, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. Now, I've done a little math on this, but if you're, if you're that meticulous, you can write numbers next to the names and figure out the math. 
The sons of Levi, verse 11, were Gershon, Kohath, and Ferrari. I mean, Marari, sorry. <laughs> the sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. We remember that story. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Lob. He uh, perfected the Lob serve in tennis, just so you know. Sorry, Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Le Leah, who she bore to Jacob in Padan Aram, with his daughter Dinah. All his sons and his daughters numbered 33. So there's the big number there. You add Dinah in, according to my math, you get 33 out of that list. The sons of Gad were Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Eridi, and Areli. The sons of Asher were Imnah and Ishba, Ishvi, Bariah, and their sister Sarah. The sons of Bariah were Heber and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah. She bore to Jacob these 16 persons. So there's the big number again, 33, 16. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, that was his true love, were Joseph and Benjamin. And we can see how important both of them were to Jacob. Verse 20, Now to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, uh, these names mean uh, God has allowed me to forget and to be fruitful, even though God, you know, truly Jacob still had, uh, Joseph still had in his heart to be with his father again and to have a reunion. But these are the ones that were born to the wife that he had received from the Pharaoh, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela and Becher, Eshbel, Gera, Naaman, Ahi and Rosh, Mupim and Hupim and Ard. <laughs> I was going to make a Muppet joke there, but I thought it would be in poor taste. The sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, that was the sister, um, were 14 persons in all. Uh, the sons of Dan were Husham. The sons of Naphtali were Jaziel, uh, I don't know where, if this is where Goon comes from, but <laughs> Guni, <laughs> Jezer, Shalem. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel, and she bore these to Jacob. There were seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two, all the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. So there's the, the number. Now he sent, to, he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him, before him to Goshen. He was kind of like the scout. I think it's beautiful that Judah rode as the scout pointing the way. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah and Judah was a change man. And they came into the land of Goshen, which was very rich land. Now I'm just going to read a note here uh, about the 70 to 75. Um, in the, the verse, and let me go back to see where I put my footnote here, where it says in verse 27, uh, to Joseph, there were born to him in Egypt were two, 
The Septuagint has nine. So that's how you get from the 66 to the 75. From my notes, nine persons in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, includes nine descendants of Joseph rather than just two. Thus getting from 66 to 75. These could have been younger sons of Joseph, but probably were the sons of Manasseh and Ephraim, that is, Joseph's grandsons, who would not have been born at the time of Jacob's migration to Egypt, but would have been by the time of Jacob's death 17 years later. And if you want to get into the details of this a little bit more, I would recommend the, uh, it's a book called Bible Difficulties, and you can look at the math and see how that all gets worked out. But notice, uh, Judah rides as scout. He guides the way to Goshen, and Joseph prepared his chariot. So now, remember, the family has, has have, they're now moving to Egypt, and Joseph's getting ready for this great reunion day. Man, he's had a, he's had a lot of emotion, right, to deal with. The brother's coming back and forth, and now dad's on his way, and he prepared his chariot. The idea of preparation here is, you know, an official chariot, probably with servants and everything. Remember, he said, go tell dad how God has elevated me to this great position in Egypt. Tell him how God is blessed. And they tried to describe it, and they showed some of the fruits of the land. But now Joseph's getting ready for this big moment. He hasn't seen his father in 22 years. And oftentimes when he interacts with the brothers, he said he would say things like this while hiding his identity before he revealed himself. He would say, how is your aged father? Is your aged father still alive? He would ask about the father and about the younger brother. Why did he ask? Because even though God had given him children in Egypt and God had made him forget and made him fruitful, he didn't forget. And it just reminds me how important a father-son relationship is and how important a father-daughter relationship is. You know, in our society, it kind of gets pushed to the side or there's a mockery today of the family and the role of the father in the family. But for Joseph, no matter the, the great things that God had done for him and the place he had elevated to, I mean, he could say, my, my father, he's just an old shepherd. He's nothing. I'm the viceroy of Egypt. I mean, we, we've had some children, perhaps, in, in our modern age, they grow up, and they kind of almost despise their parents because their parents aren't quite at the level of sophistication they are. Oh, old Jacob's just, you know, he's just this old uh, shepherd back in that land. Look at what I am today. And there's a dishonoring of parents. That should never be, and it wasn't true of Joseph. Joseph longed to be with his father again. He longed to be with his dad. Look, even if you get mixed signals from your teenagers and young adults, keep plowing through because they need you. They need your influence. They need your example. They need you to be honest even when you fail. They need your presence in their lives. Joseph needed his father. That's why he asked about him, because he cared. I think he imagined this reunion day as much as his father did. And, you know, we've had stories, uh, pretty heartwarming stories, about sometimes people find a lost parent, and, you know, you'll watch a TV show where, you know, they're reconciled or they're brought back together. Have you ever seen those ones where they'll uh, bring a military person off the battlefield and surprise the family? Man, it's just a heartwarming story. 
overwhelming emotional experience. And I know some of you are here and you don't have a chance for that again or there's been a really bad experience with a parent. And uh, all I can say is in those cases, and I've lived that personally, um, a father that I didn't see for 30-something years and then found out he died on the internet on one of those ancestry websites, no chance for reconciliation, have no idea if he's in heaven or hell. Don't know. No chance this side of heaven to know that. But I learned some things as a Christian. One is I began to watch godly men that I did respect in the church to try to model my own family after, not to repeat the mistakes of my father. And then I learned in the Bible that God is the father of the fatherless and the defender of widows, and even if I've been let down or disappointed, I have a father that's always faithful. Amen. It's Mike Massaro, and you're listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. And we'll get back to the teaching in about 30 seconds. But I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available. It's Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's about spiritual warfare, how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The special offer is, if you go to livingtruthradio.org, that's livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. For any donation, we'll send you a copy of that book. Just make sure you tell us in the contact form that you'd like the book. Now, back to Pastor Michael. And so, Joseph prepared, you know, you can imagine, man, he probably cleaned up everything the best it's been. You know how you get ready for that big moment, you clean up the car. Some of, some of you ladies remember when he used to clean up the car. He pick up the French fries out of the car, vacuum it, clean off the seat where you were going to sit, open the door for you. I know those are long behind you now for a lot of you, but anyway. The language suggests that Joseph arrived in style in an official chariot with a double exhaust, I think, probably. Don't you think? <laughs> Hemi in it, power, grandeur, surrounded by servants, 22 years. Can you imagine the anticipation? What a moment. What a reunion. Just let it sink in for a second. Just, just put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a second. Dad's alive. I'm going to see him again. And Jacob has to be thinking, he's alive. I'm going to see him again. There's no way to fully prepare for such a moment, but he prepared his chariot. He went up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. And as soon as he appeared before him, now you could imagine, he might trying to play it cool a little bit. Take a look. See my chariot, <laughs> right? But look at this. He appeared before him or presented himself and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a long. I think maybe he cried 22 years worth of tears. You know, sometimes we as men and maybe even as women, we're afraid to show our emotion. We don't like to be vulnerable. Some of us have been burned, so we hold back vulnerability. We don't, we don't think it's cool to cry. Um, I was having lunch with a young man. I, I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord many years ago, and his story was, we moved, my wife and I moved into a condo in Orange County, and uh, 
We just so happened to be next door. Uh, Shane was just a tiny little boy at the time, and he must have been two. And there was a young man next door, and he was about probably, he must have been 10 or 11 at the time. And I'll just put it this way, and I don't think he'll mind me saying this. He was in a very dysfunctional home, especially his father. His father was a Vietnam vet. He struggled with alcoholism. He was a chain smoker. So the boy began to find refuge at our condo. And we kind of hit it off, and we were playing. We'd play baseball and wiffle ball together, and I started trying to teach him how to, he wanted to be play Little League, and I started investing in his life. And one night we were sitting in my little yard in this condo looking up at the stars, and I began to share the gospel with him and his friend, and both of them opened their hearts to the Lord. It was a cool thing. And so now he's in his, I think in his mid-30s, he's got his own family, and, and he's very plugged into church, and he's very much encouraging other men to walk with Christ, which does my heart a lot of good. And we had lunch the other day, and he said, he goes, Michael, he goes, this is really strange, but he says, I've become very emotional. He said, I don't know what it is, but lately... I start thinking about my family or thinking about God's goodness and I just start to cry. <laughs> and I said, brother, I know what you mean. I don't know what's happened to me either. God's done something in my heart. Now, I'm not at the level of Paul Hicks yet. I must admit. <laughs> See? He's, a, he's already crying. But I want you to see a man, a man who could have had every reason to be bitter, a man who could have had every reason to have stuffed down every emotion and tried to play it cool. Do you know, he did do that with his brothers. Remember, he had to excuse himself out of the room several times and find somewhere to cry. But now, he didn't care. And he fell on his dad's neck and... I don't know what all the emotions must have been like, but I'll tell you what. I almost picture it as maybe a moment like when we end up in heaven and we see somebody that we've missed for a long time. I wonder how long we'll hold each other. I wonder how many, if there are happy tears in heaven, how many tears we will weep. And I wonder if we, and I think we will, get a chance to hug Jesus, what that will be like. I'll tell you what, I won't want to let go. Well, a beautiful reunion is here. I'm sure everybody had to be in awe of God's goodness. And then Israel said something to Joseph that I think we can all understand. He said, now, <laughs> verse 30, let me die. He says, since I've seen your face, that you are still alive. I don't think... I don't think Jacob's saying, okay, kill me, God. I think Jacob is kind of doing an Old Testament Simeon, like in Luke 2, when Simeon uh, spent time in the temple and he had been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And when he held the baby, Jesus, he said, now your servant can depart in shalom. Peace. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, right? And he begins to give a prophecy in Luke chapter 2. I think that's what Israel says. Now I can die. I've told the story before, but I think it's illustrative. Some years ago, my, uh, 
my mom was not, um, she had grown up in a Roman Catholic church, but um, gotten away from it like I had, and I wasn't quite sure where she was with the Lord. So I'd become a pastor, and my mom was coming to church on occasion, but she wasn't really routinely coming to church. So one day, I had been witnessing to her, and I pulled into our driveway, and I locked the door, <laughs> and she goes, what's up, Michael? And I said, Mom, I just want to make sure that you know the Lord. So I shared the gospel, and my mom assured me, oh, yes, Michael, I know Jesus, and everything's fine. So anyway, some years ago, uh, this is many years ago now, it was an Easter Sunday morning. I had preached a message on the resurrection, and I had given an altar call, and I was just at the pulpit praying, and I had my eyes closed, and I looked down, and there were several people that had come down, and my mom was standing at the foot of the pulpit, weeping her eyes out. And she'd given her life to Jesus Christ on that Easter Sunday. And I said from the pulpit right after that, you can just take me to heaven now. I think that's what Joseph was saying, or uh, Jacob was saying. You can just take me now because God has fulfilled my dreams. The things that I never thought would come to pass. The years that I thought he was gone. And everything, you know, had been wrong in my life. Restored. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, <clears throat> I will go up to tell Pharaoh after this long embrace. I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, 32, for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. Maybe a way of saying, you know, they're not gonna be completely dependent on us. They've brought resources. And it shall come about when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? that you shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. I think Joseph was being kind of diplomatic here and saying, this will keep you separate because they don't like shepherds, as we will see, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now, you remember when the brothers got there and Joseph had not revealed himself, they wouldn't eat with the Hebrews, remember? Maybe it had something to do with their religious viewpoint, but they especially looked down on shepherds and they loathed them. But the good news here is that God would even use that because it would keep Israel distinct from the Egyptians. So it would make the Egyptians not want to really be with them or intermingle with them. They thought it was going to defile them and it allowed Israel to retain and even hone their national heritage and identity. So it was part of God's plan all along. Even the shepherd part was part of what God used to keep their identity pure, to keep the Hebrew lines pure, so that Israel could grow to this nation of some two million people who finally exited uh, Egypt in the Exodus. God indeed restored the years that the locusts had, e had eaten. I I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 25. We're gonna finish there. And I do wanna remind you that the big picture of this is about us. I've been saying that as we go through um, Genesis. Isaiah 25, our last scripture of the night. And here's why. Because remember, what, what did God do? He did all of this to preserve life. We see that over and over again. God this, did this to preserve life, to preserve life. Why? Because the line, why did God care so much about Israel? He, he loved them, certainly. He had chosen them. But from Israel would come who? The Messiah. 
And God was concerned about preserving the line because eventually from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and from this line that would go then through David and even from the line of the tribe of Judah would come this one who would be our ultimate rescue, our ultimate exodus, our ultimate deliverer. And God says in Isaiah 25, look at verse uh, 7. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations, Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, whom we have waited, for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Now, one of the manifestations we could see that was made by God's promise is that the sons came back assuring Israel that his son Joseph was there. So Israel or Jacob really, you know, I'm sure he wanted to see his son, but in knowing and realizing the promises that God had kept, I'm sure he really wanted to run down to Egypt. In the same way, we should also have these things, remembering the promises that God has for us, correct? When God opens the door, Oscar, I think that's the time to say, you know what, I'm going to move. And he may have had his doubts about his son's words, but finally he comes to terms with it. Okay. You know, I never thought I was going to see Joseph again, but I'm going to see his face before I die. He had to be really excited, kind of fear mixed with excitement, Oscar. But when God's doing something, you know, I, I think he opens a door. He says, this is where I want you to go. Uh, we walk by faith and we walk in the promises. And that that is the privilege that we have as Christians. We walk uh, in the promises and the promises in Christ are yes and amen. Amen. Hey, folks, when you're doing radio, you know, it's a little hard to tell sometimes who's listening. And we would really like to know if the program's been a blessing to you and has impacted your life. And here's how you can get word to us. Go to livingtruthradio.org, livingtruthradio.org. And in the contact form, let us know that you're listening. Let us know who you are, what station you listen on, how the program's impacted your life, and even how we can pray for you. That'd be a great blessing to us. And if there's something that you want to put there that we can use to encourage other radio listeners to say, hey, Pastor Michael, this is how the program's impacted me, and you are welcome to use this to uh, encourage other radio listeners. So that'd be a blessing to us. Go to livingtruthradio.org in the contact form. Just let us know who you are. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening. Pray for us. Tell a friend about what you're hearing on this broadcast. And we'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.